What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. This is my baby. And these two were just along riding my carpet, my carpet tail. Kevin Sherrington. I did not choose the dance life. It chose me. Barry Horn. You know what my intention is? When's the last time that anybody has ever asked you a question? No one's ever asked me a question. I'm married. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Balls. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the Cowboys. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know, we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Cowboys Ballsy with a Z podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, alone in the uh, in the podcast room here. No Barry Horn, no Evan Grant, just me. But fortunately, fortunately for you who are listening right now, I have on the line the one, the only Brandon George. Hi, Brandon. How are you? Hey, Kevin. I'm sure it's. Uh... Is it lonely there? Is it pleasant without those two guys beside you, or what? <laughs> I, I got I to say, you know, it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice in there without, yeah. without without Barry yelling into the microphone. You know, <laughs> I understand. Every once in a while, he he does that. You know, he gets a little excited and he starts yelling, <laughs> and and you know that doesn't sound real good coming across on on these headsets. You know, with him doing that kind of thing. So so yeah, it's been kind of pleasant. Uh, Barry's on assignment, and and Evans out at the ballpark where they got rained out. It's flooded out there. You know, They're, apparently it's a deluge they and so they decided to get in on the act and they turn on the sprinklers in the press box apparently so <laughs> just to get the reds out of town yeah that's right that's right yeah get these people out of here so anyway evan we, we had a i mean uh, brandon we had a very uh uh tumultuous end of last week you know i had written a column about the cowboys and it, it was taking a little bit of a shot at them for really not doing very much uh and that column got held a day and it was the best thing that ever happened to me that that column got held today. Because then the next day, they signed <laughs> Alan Hearns, a wide receiver uh, from Jacksonville, uh, which uh, to me was a, a, a pretty good signing. I think that was about as, as good all around as they could hope to do, wasn't it? Well, you know, you can say, was it, a, was, was it a splash signing? Well, in comparison to what they had done previously in free agency, yeah, I, I would say so. It was definitely, it's definitely the biggest name they brought in i mean you look at i mean you look at Holmes. the deal that they gave him too it was really affordable for the cowboys you know it's a two-year contract up to 12 million but that second year is an option year so uh the cowboys have you know they, they can pick that up uh before the last day of the uh league year and so when you look at the uh they only spent like i think around four million in salary cap space for getting hearns in here so that's really good because obviously they're tied against the, the cap but hearns is hearns is a guy that really Upgrades their receiving staff. I think he um, is really going to improve the, the receiving staff. When you look at the stand, from the standpoint of, you know, Terrence Williams has really been pretty mediocre over the past few seasons. You know, he didn't, he didn't score a touchdown last year for the Cowboys. Uh, so he's going to compete for that number two spot. And ultimately, uh, I don't think this is a signing that's going to get Des Bryant off the roster necessarily, but it definitely gives you a backup plan, you know, when they approach him, approach Des for a pay cut. And that's coming. Uh, when that happens, if, they, if things go sideways and you have to move on from this, well, 
this is a, a solid backup plan when you have Hearns in uh, in the room now. Yeah, that's to me the the biggest upside of all this, and this is what I ended up writing was that it gives you options. You know, this and this is what you should be doing. And to me, with free agency, is that you need to be adding pieces that you can afford. You don't need to necessarily be spending a lot of money. But they found, to me, the best available guy for the money uh, because wide receivers were getting an awful lot of money. You know, uh, Allen Robinson, uh, his uh, Allen Hearns' teammate, got a lot of money from uh, Chicago. I believe he got $14 million a year over three years. I believe that was the package he got. So that's a that's a lot uh, to, to commit to a wide receiver, and uh, and now they got a guy, as you said, with a minimal cap hit. That uh, maybe you know, I'm not ruling out the possibility that you know I, I've seen people saying that well, he's not ready to be a number one. Well, in 2015, that looked like a number one season to me, uh, and and he's been hurt since then. Uh, he had a, he had over a thousand yards receiving that year and ten touchdowns. Uh, those were Des-like numbers when that Des had that three-year period from 2012 to 2014 when he was when he was terrific. Uh, so I think that the potential is there for him to do that. He's a veteran guy. He's he's a big guy, and I think that's a real key in all of this for me. He's six three. He's got a big catch radius, and that's exactly what uh, Dak Prescott needs: is receivers with a big catch radius uh, and guys who. Uh, and he's also known as a pretty good route runner. Uh, very reliable uh, type receiver. This is just the kind of guy that he needs. And so now when you go into the draft, um, in that ninth, if, if they stay with the 19th pick or if they trade up, I wouldn't be surprised if they traded up. Uh, and if Calvin Ridley is there, you can take him. Or if there's somebody else you like better, you can take him too. Uh, I, I don't have an argument with that. I don't think they have to take Calvin Ridley now. I think it's, it's still possible that you could, and maybe it's a good idea and that's the right idea. But, you have, but you, now you can determine that, and you don't have to feel like you're backed into a corner. Well, what, they, what the Cowboys have been able to accomplish, you know, they, they, they were never going to be set in the market on some top-of-the-line players and free agents. We knew that coming in. But what they've accomplished is they've added enough pieces now where they can have a pure draft, and that really was their goal, to get, get the right pieces in here, have a pure draft where they can take the best player available. So they, they put themselves in position to do that, certainly at 19 in the first round. They are now in position to do that because they they've uh, addressed their their depth at receiver. They've addressed addressed their depth on the offensive line. Um, you know, one of the big holes that's still out there, obviously, is that safety, and they're going to have to do something there because they're moving Byron Jones over to, to cornerback. But certainly, Hearns, I mean, you talked about Hearns' 2015 year, and that's that's the big that's the big numbers he put up. It got him that four year, forty million dollar contract, and but the last two years, you mentioned injuries. He had a sports hernia in 2016. That caused him to miss five games, and then a high ankle sprain uh, last year that caused him to miss six more games. He's missed eleven games over the last two years. Those are injuries, though, that they don't feel like is anything significant that's going to hurt him in the future. And another thing Hearns gives you is he he can line up in the slot or outside. So he's a guy that's very versatile. So it will allow Scott Linehan to use him in some different positions uh, in this scheme and really like they've been trying to do is to make this offense more Dak friendly. Well, you got a versatile guy like Hearns, you add to the mix. It's not really going to help help Dak test that out a lot. Yeah, let's talk about that just a little bit at uh, wide receiver because that's I've heard uh, readers and other people say, well, the problem for Des Bryant has been that they don't line him up uh, in the slot. They don't run, line him up in another position. He basically just runs slants and and uh, and, and curls and and that, and that and that's about it. Uh, but but of course, what my understanding has always been the the problem is that they don't think he can handle that that full route tree. That that's that's just not his strong. But he has a hard enough time running the routes that he's running now. 
uh, if you try to get him to do these other things to make him a little more versatile and and uh, and to get present different looks, he's not Larry Fitzgerald. He's not going to do that kind of thing. Yeah, he's certainly not that type of player. I mean, you know, Dez built his career based on how physical he can be and out muscling people, and uh, he's just never been about speed or precise route running, and that's never been his strength. So now, as you get up in age, and I mean, I'm not, you know. And the injuries start to pile up a little bit, but then some of that that strength and power kind of goes away, and then you're left with a player like we're seeing now, who's not at really peak potential for, and, and certainly around uh, 30 years old now. And you know, this is not an ideal situation for Dez. I mean, yeah, he can. I think he can go somewhere and actually have a chance to succeed somewhere if he's used the right way. I don't think there's any doubt he still has something left, but I don't think he's he's, he's close to what he was when he made that run from 2012 to 2014 and put up those monster numbers. No, I don't think he is either. And I, and I just don't, you know, and that's why I kind of disagreed a little bit with the standpoint that, well, you, you can't let a number one receiver go. Well, he doesn't have number one numbers anymore. I mean, I'm not saying he couldn't. And I'm not, and I've even kind of backed off a little bit. I, I, was, of, I was of the opinion that you need to let him go. It's time to move on. You save, you know, uh, $12.5 million, you know, by letting him go after June 1st. Uh, for all those reasons, I was saying that that was the thing to do. Now, if they can get him to take uh, nine million or or so, I, don't you think that nine million probably is the the number that the Cowboys are looking at? I was thinking it's somewhere in that neighborhood, and uh, you know, because you're you're already you're paying Hearn Hearn's about six. Uh, certainly, you know, he's going to want to come in above Hearn uh, if he's the number one receiver. So, right. nine million does make a lot of sense. Yeah, so I think that that way, then then you're talking about let's say, and at that point, to me, as I said before, I don't have a problem with them taking Calvin really. I realize that the you know the receiver room is getting kind of crowded here, but that's okay. Uh, they've had the same receiver room now for five seasons. It's probably time to kind of shake things up a little bit. If if they were to draft Calvin Ridley, what kind of repercussions do you think that would have on the rest of the receiving staff? Well, let's be let's be clear here. The Cowboys did make a strong run to get Sammy Watkins early in free agency. I was told that they, they their money was close to uh, what the, it, it ended up coming in at for Watkins. It was a $16 million a year annual salary with the Chiefs. So they pushed hard, and, we're, and, and that tells you by them pushing hard that they were prepared to move on from Des Bryant. You weren't going to have Sammy Watkins and Des Bryant on the same roster. No. So they, they are certainly comfortable moving on from Des Bryant. And I think if they went and drafted Calvin Ridley – if they're 19th pick or wherever it is in the first round, if they move up to get him, uh, I think they would move on from Des Bryant. I think you you don't draft him and with the, with the uh, understanding that I think Des Bryant stays on the roster. I think you get him and and you put Ridley, Holmes, Williams, or whatever the combination is there. These guys, you know, you got Beasley obviously as well. But you know, you got enough now to really say, okay, we're we're certainly comfortable uh, depth wise to move on from Des Bryant. So I think. That would be, I think, the ideal move if they get to that situation. And they built enough with this receiving core now that they have enough leverage to, you know, even push the uh, pay cut even more because you've added Hearn. So I think that's the uh, – and let's, let's, let's be, be clear here, too. The Cowboys on Wednesday are going to be – they're taking Jason Garrett and the coaching staff, and they're going to be at, at Alabama to put Alabama players through a workout similar to what they did a couple years ago when Garrett and the coaching staff were up in Ohio State and put all these players uh, through a workout. Ended up drafting, obviously, Zeke, uh, number four overall in the first round after that. So they are certainly got a lot of interest in these Alabama players. Otherwise, Jason Garrett wouldn't show up at, at this uh, second pro day for Bama and put these guys through a workout. Garrett doesn't make many appearances at all 
at pro days. But when he does, it certainly shows a high interest in, in an Alabama player high because uh, Garrett actually made an appearance uh, with uh, Tyron Smith at his pro day. He ended up drafting Tyron Smith, obviously, the first-round pick. And, you know, he did the same with Zeke. So when Garrett shows up, it shows a, a big commitment that they're really interested, perhaps, in getting Alabama player high. Well, uh, and that's interesting to me because you know uh, the uh, besides the, the that that kind of sign, uh, we look at what um, Calvin Ridley did, you know, last season, and of course he, he his numbers were pretty good when he had he didn't really have a quarterback throwing him the ball. I mean, Alabama struggled under that. If they hadn't made the change at, at quarterback in the championship game, they wouldn't have won. Uh, so uh, I think that 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 tells you a lot about him, but. He didn't blow anybody away at the combine. Uh, his his forty time was was certainly decent. Uh, I think it was a four four three at the combine. Uh, but he didn't jump, blow anybody away on the long jump or or you know the vertical leap and all the rest of the stuff that they do. I don't know how he did in the cone drills, but everything else he he wasn't big. And then apparently he didn't have a big day at Alabama's pro day either doing the same thing. So I think there are people wondering, well, does this guy have the explosion that you want and a wide receiver you're going to take in the first round and look at last year in the draft and all those wide receivers taken in the first couple of rounds. Who uh, There was five of them and taken in the first two rounds who had a combined, uh, you know, 87 catches for like 800 yards. It was, a, it was about a, a decent season for one receiver, much less five. So uh, I can understand if they if uh, if they decide ultimately that maybe uh, one of the reasons they did this is that maybe that they're not in love with Calvin Ridley. Maybe they're looking. Maybe they are looking to, to fix the defense. Um, I, I've, I'm a believer here that uh, if they decided to go, you know, if they could trade up to ten uh, and and get a safety, uh, Derwin James, who's a, a, a Florida State, who may be available at ten. Uh, I think that that I'd be I think that would be just fine if they decided to do that instead of drafting a wide receiver. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think obviously you can trade up and get a Derwin James top player. I think that that makes a lot of sense. That's a huge hole for the Cowboys and and <laughs> the draft being in, in Dallas uh, and hosted in Texas for the first time. Jerry's going to certainly look to make a big splash. He always does anyway. He's, he's known for trading in the draft. He, with the draft right here in his backyard, you know he's going to try to at least trade up and, like I said, and, and make some make some waves. But the safety, the safety thing, you know, you look at uh, what they have at safety now, what's left. Uh, you know, you know, you really have a lot of guys that are really kind of big uh, players back there. So, you know, you need someone that can really lead that back end of the defense. And uh, you know, they talked about they need a center fielder. You know, they're not they're not looking for necessarily a, you know a guy play in the box like that because they have they have guys that can do that kind of thing, but um, certainly when you look at some of these guys that were free agents and the safety market hasn't moved in free agency, you know, they really, Kenny Vaccaro didn't make sense to him because they thought, you know, he was more of an in-the-box kind of safety. Yeah. And uh, some of these other guys, you know, they weren't going to find uh, some of these other guys as well that just didn't fit the mold. So I think that's what they're looking for. Derwin James certainly fits that that kind of mold for the Cowboys. Yeah, I, I think they need that alpha dog back there, the guy who's really going to uh, take control of that, because it's a very talented young group of, of uh, defensive backs, and, and I and I very much approve of the – not that they needed my approval, but, uh, but, but of moving Byron Jones back to corner. It just – uh, the numbers weren't there. You could tell that uh, that uh, they were not pleased with the fact that they they weren't getting interceptions from him back there. So I think this was a, certainly a good move. But it's just 
they're just lacking that that singular player back there. I I really think that this Cowboys defense is very close to being really good. I I think they are finally getting enough talent back there. Certainly, they need more depth at linebacker, and they need more depth in the defensive line. But uh, I, I think they really have some pieces now. It looks like they've got that pass rusher. If Sean Lee's healthy, he's, he's still a great linebacker. And, and, uh, and, I, and I do like these young cornerbacks they got. They were very impressive as rookies, uh, very aggressive guys. And, and I thought they, they played very well over the course of the year, especially as the season got older. I still just think they're lacking that player at the back end. And uh, if they could get that and a guy who could produce some um, turnovers for them, then I then I think you're really talking about something here, you know, with the the Cowboys are close to I think being a contender for the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think when you look at, I mean, they can, down the road where there's some big questions pop up because they're going to have they're going to have a hard time signing them to Marcus Lawrence and David Irving after this season because of their salary cap situation. It's going to be a challenge for them because they have so many. They got to get the Zach Martin deal worked out. They got some other players coming up. Obviously, next off season the first time. They can extend Dak Prescott, and he's going to get a huge contract. It's coming. And Zeke, you got to come up with money for him soon. So, um, you know, their defense line, I think they still need, like you said, I still think that they need some depth. And they really need a solid right side defensive end because I don't think Tyron Crawford is really what fits their scheme well. He's more of an inside guy, and I think they could really use an elite top pass rusher out there. And that's certainly a guy that if he's available in the draft, is something they'll have to look at. But you mentioned the safety thing, but in the middle of their defense, I am a little concerned about because you got you got you know you lose Anthony Hitchens in free agency, you signed a big contract with the Chiefs, but now you got Jalen Smith playing middle linebacker. And we we saw you know what he is last year. He's not still not close to the player he was in Notre Dame. Can he take that next step forward? If not, you can kind of expose yourself in the middle because then you got a safety losing Byron Jones, moving him to cornerback. You don't have really a solid safety there. So the middle of that defense, there is some issues there, and they're going to have to address that this offseason. Do you think that uh, – uh, well, first of all, do, do we know anything more about Jalen Smith? I mean, ev- everybody talks about, you know, the progression of uh, that nerve regeneration and, and how it's getting – I, I just, you know, from a medical standpoint, you know, I'm, I'm not a doctor nor do I play one on TV, and I, and I don't know, uh, you know, what – it seems like he's going against medical science here to expect that that thing is, is still progressing, you know. Do you have an idea if he's going to be able to play football this fall without that uh, device on his foot? Uh, that's, not, that's still not clear if he's going to still have to wear the brace or not. But, you know, it's my understanding that, yeah, it's progressed some, but still it's a slow progression, and they're still not full. They, they still don't know if it'll ever fully get back. There's a good chance it probably won't be 100% ever. So, uh, yeah, it's just a, a situation where uh, can he get more comfortable, you know, playing with the way it is now, and it can get any, um, like I said, get back closer to that level at Notre Dame. And, and really – you really won't know that, I think, until he's a year or two out from uh, even more so now. I think what he saw last year, I think he can get better, but I just don't know how, how much better he can get. And that's really what the, the Cowboys, you know, question, too, because they don't know really what they'll have down the road with uh, Jalen Smith because of the injury. Yeah, you know, that's that's the thing. If if you don't get much more out of him than what you're getting now, then then that was not a good pick with a second pick. I mean, second-round pick. You could have – you could have gotten him in the third or fourth round, and I think. And if you had, and if you had waited that long, and, and and you know that's the deal. You play that game. You know you determine we can't spend more than a third or fourth on this guy if he's not going to play at all. Uh, and if he's if he's there, then great. Let's let's take him. But if he's not there, we're not going to worry about it. And that's to me that that might have been the last vestiges. And, and maybe there's more people who who are believers in him 
than Jerry. I know that Jason Garrett, I've been told that, that Jason was incredibly high on Jalen Smith, just loved him. You know, they had him in for the interview and just was blown away by him, which is all well and good. And I'm all for, you know, the, them adding those kinds of players to, to the roster. They certainly need as many of them as they can get, but they need to also be healthy. Uh, and I, I, I do, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm questioning that, and I'm sure everybody else is too. If you're, if you're never going to get more than what he is, he's not as valuable as Anthony Hitchens was. Let's put it that way. And Anthony Hitchens was a fourth-round pick. Yeah, and I think you talked about Jalen, you know, how Jared was high on him. I mean, every, really, anyone has ever sit down and interviewed Jalen Smith has been high on him. I mean, the guy just blows you away, his character and just the way he carries himself and the positive attitude and all that. I mean, it's just – it really is. It's really overwhelming when, you, when you're around the guy, and I think he rubs off on a lot of people. And I think that's a big reason, too. You know, they, they not only thought that he had a chance to get back with the injury-wise, but they just thought he had a – it's the way about him. He had a he was going to have a positive impact on the people he touched and, and in the locker room and things like that. I certainly agree, though. It is not a great ticket second round if you can't get him close to what he was at Notre Dame. I mean, the the, the risk was not really worth it. I think, and and I think he it certainly like when you talk to scouts and people in around the draft, uh, they thought you know they, he could have gotten been uh, taken a lot later than he was. The thing was, the Cowboys thought that he was going to go, and he was going to go in that second-round area. And so that's why they went ahead and took him there uh, near the top of the second round. So I think uh, that, that's basically what their thinking was. They, if they were going to get him, they're going to have to get him then. And so they, they took a chance on him. And, and we'll still see. There's just still a lot to come with him. I mean, I, I don't think, like I said, I just don't think he'll get to that Notre Dame level. But can he get better? And can he, you know, be a starting linebacker in the NFL? Uh, I think there's certainly a good chance of that. Yeah, I just don't know if it's enough for what he was, uh, where he was taken. Now, we, we kind of slipped over this. I want to go back to it before I forget because, you know, I'm very forgetful these days in my in my dotage, uh, Brandon. But uh, when we're talking about wide receivers, some I've, some readers have brought this up with me, and, and, uh, and you know, I really wasn't considering it, but, but you know, who, who knows what they might do. Uh, we talk a lot about the, the impact on Terrence Williams by adding Alan Hearns and the possibility of adding Calvin Ridley. Uh, but what about Cole Beasley? Uh, could he end up being a casualty here with Ryan Switzer sitting there behind him? Yeah, I think that's certainly a possibility when you look at Cole. And not only, not only that, I mean, look, Deontay Thompson signing, uh, they, you know, they signed Deontay Thompson a free agent. You know, he's a guy, they didn't spend much money. He's going to have like an $800,000 base salary in 2018. He, He's a guy that the Cowboys could move on from from very easily. If you know at the end of training camp, you're like you still got all these receivers competing, and, and he's a guy that wouldn't hurt them at all to move on from. Beasley certainly though, they, you know his contract's about to come up pretty soon, and, and uh, you can see that he, he took a step back last year. Uh, he was really disappointed in December. You know we were sitting in front of his locker and uh, in the locker room, and he was just talking about how. He felt like he was going to be used a little differently in the scheme. Just wasn't very happy with how it kind of ended up being used in the scheme. You might, you know, he had you actually heard similar comments from Des, Des Bryant, around, you know, a week or two after that. And how he was used at times in the scheme. So Beasley, though, I think you know he had a big year the year before, but then the numbers really were cut in half last year. And he's a guy though; he's so important on third down. You know, we talked about his importance and how moving the chains and and just. The guy that really just seems to always get open, but that wasn't the case last year. He and Dak just didn't have that same connection they'd had the year before. 
No, they didn't. And, and, and let's, uh, let's look at that a little bit because, you know, we've all been quick to blame the receivers, and, and uh, you can't blame Beasley for his route running. He runs tremendous routes, uh, and it wasn't working last year as defenses were keying more on him. You know, they were not having to double cover Dez, and Dez was seeing a lot of single coverage last year, so that means you could shut other things down. Uh, and certainly you could look at it from the standpoint of, though, also that this offense was very predictable uh, in, in what it did and what it's been doing. And uh, I really get the impression now that uh, they are going to try to do some things differently uh, in their, uh, in their past game, passing game and what they want to do and how they're going to use their wide receivers. Would you expect to see, besides the fact that you have different personnel, would you expect to see a lot of difference in how they're being utilized? I think there'll be some. I mean, I talked to you know talking to Jerry Jones when I was at the Senior Bowl in January. He's he's really high on, on the addition of Sanjay Lyle, their new receivers coach, replacing Derek Dooley. He he thinks Sanjay. He calls well. He, first of all, he calls Sanjay Lyle one of the most sought after assistant coaches in the NFL, and they just, he thought it was a coup to be able to get get him to the Cowboys. And he thinks he's a great teacher of route, you know, route running and precise precision in route running. And he thinks he's going to be able to help these receivers a lot now. I don't think there's going to be a ton of changes necessarily in the, in the scheme. I think it is what it is, and and and, and old system, and, and Linehan is certainly going to make some adjustments like he's done a little bit before. But I mean, basically, I think you'll see Dak maybe running a little bit more, and uh, you know, some some just a few changes. I think you'll see uh, Zeke being used out of the backfield to throw to a little bit more. They talked about that going into last year, just never developed. You know, part of the reason, obviously, Zeke's six game suspension never allowed that to develop, but. I think you'll see him get the ball a little bit more out of the backfield, you know, in the passing game. So, I mean, I, I don't think there'll be a huge difference. I don't think you'll see – you won't look at this offense and say, oh, wow, you know, you know, that's a huge change. I don't think there'll be a lot of that. Yeah. I would just like to see, you know, uh, you know a little more uh, – you know, listen, I understand what the deal was with Dez. If you didn't feel like he was going to be able to run these routes and you couldn't count on him to do them, then, then that's why they didn't put him in his route tree. That's just – as I said before, he's not Larry Fitzgerald. So, uh, so I, I get that part of it. But if you've got other guys, if you've got Alan Hearns in there, and you can use him in the slot, you can use him outside. I know that Hearns complained a little bit at uh, Jacksonville that that was one of the reasons why, besides his injuries, that he didn't do as well as he had in 2015 because they were always using him inside. And he even told some people recently when he was uh, after he signed with the Cowboys that uh, one of the reasons why he came here was because they told him he was going to play outside more and that other mm-hmm. team, he didn't really want to spend all his time. But he is, in the, in the red zone especially, out of the slot, a big target, a much different kind of target than, uh, than Cole Beasley is. So uh, it, it, even as effective as Cole has been at times down there as well. So there, there are different things. At least there are different looks they can present with some of these guys, and I would, I would, I would think that that's something that they need to maximize because the last thing you want to be is predictable. It's one thing to, to do that in, in college football year after year. If you're really you've got really great personnel, you can, you know, you can be Alabama and be a little, be a little mundane and uh, even. But even even the the Crimson Tide had to change there in the middle of the national championship game to get that win. So I just think it's difficult to try to be a team that we're just going to line up and you know what we're going to run and we don't we don't care and and we're going to just uh, you know out execute you here and and outman you and we're gonna we're gonna make the plays that we have to make here. Yeah, certainly at the NFL level, I think yeah, I think there's no doubt about that. The teams are. 
you're just not going to do that at the NFL level. And you got the Cowboys have built their offense based on their offensive line, the run game. They want to establish that physical uh, element. And, uh, you know, yeah, you can do that until basically you load the box and you stop that. And then you have to get a little bit more creative. And that's what you haven't seen the last few years from the Cowboys. Do you uh, do you expect that, you know, we see there that they restructured uh, Jason Witten's contract uh, to free up some cap space, I think $3.5 million. Uh, so, Anytime you start doing that with a player, it's it's kind of an indication that you expect him to be around a little bit longer. So, uh, how much long? How much longer is Jason Witten going to be playing for the Cowboys? I, I think I really do think this could be his last season. Uh, you know, just this, this. I think he's been close to saying, "Okay, this this could be it." This last year, I think he goes in every year. He takes it year by year now, and uh, certainly that's something that he considers after every uh, in every off season now. Uh, so, but I do think. He'll definitely be back in 2018. I mean, he made that clear at the end of the season, and then obviously with the restructure. I mean, that's obviously a telltale sign. You're not going to restructure a guy's contract if he's not going to be around in the upcoming season. So, very well could be his last season. Maybe he plays one more, gets one more in. But I think he's certainly close. You know, 16 years in the NFL, it's taking a toll on his body. And, and uh, you know, and the thing with Jason, he's never going to come off the field. You know, the guy plays every snap. Uh, so yeah, you talk about the toll it's taking on him. Yeah, he, you know he, he struggles sometimes during the season to recuperate. You know, basically from day to day, week to week, and, and get back on the field. He does a lot to get back on the field. So it's definitely a grind for him during the season. So who's going to retire first, uh, Jason Witten or Dirk Nowitzki? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I <laughs> I guess I would lean. Toward well, I mean, Dirk said he's going to play next year, right? Yeah. So maybe yeah. I'll lean toward I'll lean toward Witten then because I, I really think there's a strong possibility that uh, 2018 is his last season. So I guess he would beat Dirk to the punch there, just just based on when the uh, season ends for the Mavericks. Two very similar guys, you know. Two both two great guys. I, you know, there there may not be two smaller egos. Now, now Dirk's one of the greatest players in NBA history, and Jason's a great player. He doesn't rank quite like that, but but. For the impact that they've made on their organizations here in Dallas, uh, two really small egos, two really great guys. Yeah, the humility of both those guys. You know, I, I got to be around Dirk a lot during their title run in 2011, and he does remind me a lot of, of a Jason Witten. Like I said, the humble, a guy that puts you know the team first, uh, very great locker room guy, a leader uh, in front of the camera, behind the camera. I mean, he he just. He says everything about the Mavericks organization. You look at him, he's an example for everyone. Same thing with Whitney and the Cowboys. I think you can make a lot of comparisons there. All right, now, I don't want us to get away before we talk about the the uh, what in the world is gone at your, uh, going on at your alma mater, UTA. They just fired uh, Scott Cross, the most successful coach in the history of that uh, school a guy who who went to school there, played there, uh, came back here, had opportunities to leave, uh, has remained as head coach. I think he's been there for twelve years. Is that not is that not correct? Well, I think it's twelve. Yeah, maybe the head coach. I mean, he's been there. Oh yeah. I've known I've I've known Scott since uh, nineteen ninety seven. I actually went to school there in the late nineties, and Scott was a player at UTA. So Scott's been around for you know two plus decades uh, at UTA, either as a player. Uh, assistant coach or head coach now so what do your sources tell you now i know what we have we have uh from uh, uh from the athletic director uh and, and what he has said about why he wants to do this he wants to win every year uh he, he well, like, obviously everybody wants to win every year he wants to go to the ncaa tournament every year 
thinks that they should be able to do that. One of the you know he threw out uh, Stephen F. Austin, uh, but he also threw out Gonzaga, and when he was talking about this kind of thing, which uh, I think he's got about oh a tenth of the basketball budget that Gonzaga has. But uh, but what are you hearing about what the what it is they want to do? Well, sources, I've been talking to some sources, and basically the situation is it's, it's the relationship between Scott and Jim Baker, the athletic director EGA, has been a tumultuous one um, really since the summer of 2016. Baker's expectations are so high that, you know, he basically set the standard. You know, we want a, a program that's in the NCAA tournament every year. Uh, so, And the situation with Scott, you know, he came off the best season in school history last year, 27 wins uh, with the UTA program. Uh, they won the conference championship. Yeah, they they got beat in the conference tournament title game, so they didn't get the automatic bid. But then they had a they they had that long NIT run and went to the quarterfinals. But they also, you know, they won games at Texas, at St. Mary's, twice at uh, at BYU. They've won uh, at Ohio State, at Memphis. These are some huge programs that they've gone on the road and beat. You know, uh, St. Mary's was a top twenty-five team, and they never lose at home. And they went to St. Mary's and won there. Um, so you know. But what he's done at that program, and the expectations were really set so high that he was never going to satisfy Baker. Now, Baker came from the University of Texas. He spent two decades at Texas, came over, uh, took the AD job at UTA. Well, he inherited Scott Cross, and so he didn't hire Scott Cross. So there's always that, that issue there. Now, I was told that Scott had an end-of-year meeting after the season last year, after this great season, best in school history, and Baker basically approached Scott with the mindset that he told Scott that we want you to be the next Gonzaga. He wasn't satisfied that they just come off the best season in school history. And it, voices were raised in this meeting. It was not, uh, it was not a pleasant meeting. These, uh, Scott uh, wasn't happy. Baker wasn't happy at, at, at Scott. I mean, these are issues that, and, and that run deep. And so now you have Baker basically who wants to hire his own guy. And so I've been told by different people that basically – uh, Texas Tech assistant Chris Ogden, who's who's uh, been there at Tech now for two seasons, is a high on the list of UTA. I was told that um, Jim Baker was actually sitting behind the bench uh, at Texas Tech, uh, the Texas Tech bench when they played at the AAC at Dallas uh, a week ago. That he was sitting close to the Tech bench, and and this is something he's had in, in the works for a while now. Um, so you know, this is basically where it's headed. You know, relationship with uh, Ogden. He played Ogden played at the University of Texas. Uh, has been an assistant coach under Rick Barnes for uh, I think he was he was at Texas under Barnes and he went to Tennessee for one season under Rick Barnes and then he was hired as an assistant at Texas Tech so and, and Baker was at Texas during this time that uh, Ogden played at Texas and was an assistant for Barnes there's a long relationship there so it makes a lot of sense yeah I, I get all that and I'm not saying that if Chris Ogden gets hired he's not a good hire and he won't do a good job he may very well do all of that I just think it is a tremendous gamble on Baker's part to think that I'm going to take a guy who uh, has has taken this program where it's never been before uh, and and of course it's only been six years since they stopped playing on the stage uh, isn't that yeah. right it's about the sixth season with the new arena out there yeah that's about right and they played at Texas Hall on the big st- on the stage there that was really just a ridiculous thing yeah. for, for any any program <laughs> absolutely so he's he's brought it out of that and he's made him a consistent winner. Uh, they've only been to the NCAA tournament once, uh, but uh, but they've been close. And I think the disconnect for me is the athletic director not understanding the fan base and not understanding the backlash uh, about this and what or what it pretended. Because as a guy, you went to a school that's considered a commuter school. I went to a school, Houston, considered a commuter school. 
I know what it is to feel like, uh, you know, your program is being used as a stepping stone by a lot of coaches and, and guys come through. And so that was one of the great appeals of a guy uh, when I was in school at Houston. Guy Lewis was a coach. He had played basketball at Houston. He became an assistant in Houston. Then he became a head coach at Houston. He was there for 30 years. And, and I think one of the reasons why he had so much success is because he was so tied in with that program. Whereas I, I don't know what Chris Ogden is going to do when he, if, if he gets the job and he comes here and he does a good job, how long is he going to stay? Is he going to stay two years, three years, four years? I mean, how, how long is that going to be? We, we know that, as you said, that Scott Cross had had opportunities to maybe to go other places, and he turned those down just because he considered himself a UTA guy. And that, to me, to, to fans, that creates a tremendous bond. Uh, with a coach and with a program, knowing that this guy is one of us and this guy wants to be here. That, that, is, a, that is a very rare thing in college basketball, now in college, foot, in college sports at all, in football, basketball, whatever it is, where you have somebody who, is, who has developed that kind of bond with the fans. And as you said, the guy who's done it all the right way, there's never been a whiff of anything that he's done wrong there. I think that's when this came, first came up that he'd been fired. I thought, oh, my gosh. What could he have done, you know? And then when we found out, well, it's just because we're not going to the NCAA tournament every year. I, I think this is a pretty rare thing, and as I said, about as dumb as it gets. Yeah, I think, I think ultimately you'll see it's a huge mistake. I, I just don't think they're going to have a tough time even getting close to duplicating the success they've had the last two, three years, especially when you look at the fact that basically all of their ETA's top players, all their top seven players on their roster were seniors, so they're going to have to overhaul the entire roster. Not that they wouldn't anyway if they're going to change coaches, but um, I think another thing, and I'll, I'll tell you this, a story that I was, uh, that was shared with me by someone, uh, and I haven't reported this or tweeted this, but just kind of tell you the mindset of uh, UTA's legs director. I was told that last year, UTA, uh, Clint, before, before they, they had a game that was going to clinch the conference, regular season conference championship on their home court, um, Scott Cross was basically told that by the AD, that he didn't want the players cutting down the nets after they won the game because he felt like that it, it, it sent the wrong mindset. He felt like that it wasn't the right thing to do because it wasn't the automatic bid. It wasn't the, the big tournament, that, you know, win the conference tournament, get you in the NCAA. So he didn't want them to celebrate on their home court in front of their home fans the big conference championship, the first, you know, the Sun Belt Conference championship. He didn't want them to cut down the nets. And I think that's very telling of the mindset of Jim Baker. Wow. I, I thought that the other Jim Baker was crazy. This one, this one is really crazy. That, that, yeah. that that's a that's a situation where you got a, an athletic director who's clearly infringing too much upon the program. When you, it's it's one thing, you know, my my old pal Frank Broyles at Arkansas, who I, I love Frank, but Frank was constantly infringing upon his head coaches and telling them what to do. But he was Frank Broyles. You know, he, <laughs> yeah, exactly. he's a guy who won a national championship as a football coach and is the emperor of Arkansas. I mean, he, he gets to do stuff like that. When you're Jim Baker, you know, he, he's wanting he's wanting this uh, team to be in the NCAA tournament every year. He came from Texas. What does he know about great basketball teams? You know, that it's not like the Longhorns have been, uh, you know, racking it up every year. I realize that, that, uh, that, you know, they did go to the last Final Four of anybody from this state. In two thousand and was that three or five? Three, five. My, my memory yeah, is blanking like, on me now. Something like that. that. <laughs> something like that. Uh, but look, you know, to think that you're you're going to go in here and you're and you're going to I'm going to shake this thing up. 
I just think that's a very dangerous thing to think. It, it looks like to me from the outside, and I'm sure this is the way a lot of, of UTA fans are going to look at it, is like you're an outsider. You came in here and decided to use us as an experiment. You, you decided that, hey, I want to do this my way. I want to do it my – this way that you've been doing it that's been working – all this time and it's been great yeah. and everything's going well yeah that's not good enough for me i want to do it another way and that's a an incredibly dangerous thing to, to see happen so i'll be interested to see here uh, you know how this pans out because i think there's a good chance that this will be the last head coach that jim baker ever hires at uta well i think that's what he set himself up for i think because if this doesn't work and you really let go of a guy like scott cross not only loyal but with a clean like you said run a clean program does things the right way, builds the character, high character kids, graduates his kids. If this doesn't work and this thing is a disaster, well, he's really because the UTA basketball is the top program at the school. They don't have football, so you set yourself up as the AD for you know, you're the next one to go. Yeah, which I don't think a lot of fans would have a problem with that. Maybe happening right now, but but we'll yeah, see. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't seem that way from the reaction on on, uh, on uh, Twitter and social media. Even Dick Vitale just tweeted. Uh, uh, something uh, supporting Scott Cross. Dick, Dick Vitale tweeted out, what a sad state in college when a coach like uh, Scott Cross is fired by an AG, Jim Baker, because he did not win enough. He goes, this is sick, <laughs> in all caps. So Dick Vitale uh, weighing in on the UTA Scott Cross firing. So where do you think this Scott ends up now? Well, I'm told that he wants to remain a head coach. Now, now Scott, you know, when he signed his t- extension in 2016, one of the things he said is, you know, he's not motivated by money, and I believe that, and he he really isn't. He, he you know, he's motivated by family and you know his faith, and uh, he has three sons, um, you know, a wife that was a former athlete at UTA, and so he's built his life around sports, and his sons all play basketball. I think, I think he really values the time he gets to spend with his sons, and he wants to keep a head coaching job. Mainly, you know, because he can dictate when he can watch his sons or spend more time with his sons, and whether if he's assistant, well, someone else is dictating basically his life away from uh, basketball. So I think it's a big high value. Now, I'm told that last year, you know, Scott knew that he had trouble with the AD for a couple of years. I was told that that Scott went after the New Mexico job, interviewed. He was actually flown to Las Vegas and and, and interviewed by New Mexico for the job. He was actually named one of the three finest finalists for the New Mexico job. Uh, so he made a push there and uh, to get that job. So he ended up not getting that job. But he's actually actually he expressed interest already in four head coaching jobs in the last few weeks. I was told by a source that he's been reaching out the last few weeks trying to get a head coaching job around the nation. But a lot of, here's a problem. Here's another thing, Kevin, to keep in mind that Jim Baker did Scott no favors. Well, he he could have made this move weeks ago. He yeah. could have put Scott on the open market weeks ago, and uh, where Scott could have been pushing harder for some of these jobs. And he didn't do that. He held on to, like, you know, you're almost to the Final Four now, and he, he, he's let Scott go at this point. So, really, he did, he did him no favors in that, that, that arena as well. And so and that's very disappointing for a guy that's your all-time winningest coach and done so much for that program. So that, that's, that's a disappointing thing as well with Jim Baker. Do you, do you think it's possible that uh, because of the family ties he might take a high school job just temporarily? I don't think so. I don't think. I think he'll take some kind of college job. I really, I really do. I mean, he wants to stay in college basketball, and uh, I think it, he's going to push for a head coaching job. But man, here's another thing: he's got he got two years left on his contract, so UCA is going to have to write him a check. So he can he can he can actually be patient. He's going to have you know plenty of salary next you know cover the next two years for him, so he can be patient 
in making a decision. But I don't think he wants to be out out of work long. I don't think that that will be the case either because he's such a high character guy. that's done everything the right way, and he's a really good recruiter, uh, especially you know with the way he's recruited in you know, the Dallas Fort Worth area. So he he'll he'll bring a lot of value to a program, and he has a lot of strong connections in the college college basketball world. So I think he'll be he'll stay in college basketball. Uh, just the question will be whether he can get a head coaching job or have to take an assistant job. But he certainly wants to remain a head coach. And 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 I didn't realize he had two years left on his deal. Unbelievable that uh, that that you would fire a, a good coach who has two years left on his deal, and now you're going to, have to pay that at a place like yeah. UTA. You're going to be doubling up. Right. You're going to be paying a coach and a former coach. That's incredible. That's incredible. Exactly, exactly yeah. what they're going to do. Yeah. yeah. Brandon, it's been great having you on. I appreciate you talking about both the Cowboys situation and UTA, our, our, our lead dog on the UTA front. We appreciate you uh, filling that role for us. Uh, always, always great to have your insights anyway on just about anything. It's been lovely. Thanks for, for, having, uh, for coming on with us or co- coming on with me, actually. There's no us. It's just me and you. So <laughs> I, I appreciate that very I, much. I really, I got to admit, I really enjoyed it, especially without Barry Horn. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. Thanks, Brandon. All right. Take care. There goes Brandon George. Uh, so we had this week in the podcast, we had Evan Grant uh, briefly on baseball that got uh, washed out, flooded, uh, flooded away out at the ballpark uh, today. Uh, but we got the opener coming up on Thursday. Uh, we'll all be out there then. So hopefully it'll have dried up and they'll have stopped the sprinklers in the press box. And, uh, and we also had Brandon George talking about the Cowboys. So it's all been great, and we appreciate it. Thanks for coming. And for everybody in here, which is just me, uh, basically, to everybody out there, see you. Thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy with a Z podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see you.